Amen. Thanks, Matt. Matt's my friend. Um, nope, nobody got that. Obviously, you guys are all tired too, but uh, welcome to Urban Grace this morning. Uh, my name is Trev, and I am the pastor, lead friend maker here at uh, Urban Grace Church. Um, I'll tell you why I've been saying that, um, or why I would say that a little bit later, but we're, yes, we're in a series on the nature of things, and what we're trying to do here is really bring us back to kind of the origin of things. Sometimes you understand things because you understand them kind of after they have taken a long time to evolve into something, and it seems like even this issue of friendship, I, I, I don't know where you're at this morning, whether or not you've heard a lot of stuff about friends, um, whether or not you completely understand the the subject, but what is a friend? What is a friend? Take a, take a moment to just even think about that. What is a friend? Well, I, I think, I, I, I'm hesitant to use the word destroy, but in some ways, hasn't Facebook kind of really ruined our understanding of friending? You know, that now it's possible to say, I've never met this person, I don't even like them, but they're my friend. On Facebook, yeah, that's probably the first time in history we've been able to say that. I don't like them, but they are my friend. Right? You can now defriend people. It was something that for centuries people have been longing to do. Now you can do it. You can defriend someone by the, literally by the click of a button. Um, I've heard conversations where it says, yeah, we, we used to be friends, and then, and then they took me off their Facebook, and we're not friends anymore, and... I've heard that. What is a friend? What is a friend? Have you thought about that recently? Who would you consider your friends? Would you consider yourself a good friend? Would you consider yourself someone who is friendly? I know that that's something that's gone around here at Urban Grace, actually. This is a friendly church. My question is, what does friendly mean? Sometimes people say friendly and sometimes is a smile. Friendly is in some ways something very shallow for some people. Uh, I did some deep, deep research in the dictionary and I found that the definitions there were very unhelpful. A friend is, first of all, there were four definitions, three were only good enough, a person attached to another by feelings of affection or personal regard. <laughs> the most unpersonal definition of a friend I've ever heard in my life. How about this one? A person who is on good terms with one another. A person who is not hostile. <laughs> That's nice. Who are your friends? All oh, those people that aren't hostile to me. Third, a person associated with another as a contact on a social networking website. Those are, those are the definitions of friends that were out there. And yet, think about this with me for a second. Where would your life be without your friends? I maintain that I don't think it's very easy. In fact, I would, I would say it, it is almost impossible to live as a Christian without friends. I really feel like it's almost impossible to live as a person without friends. Because even if you, say, if you say, I don't really need people, well, you need people to brag about how you don't need friends, don't you? So you need people still, even in the way that you separate yourself. But the truth is, we've all really felt lonely. 
we all really look for good friends. No one says, well, I don't really want any more good friends. Maybe we say that because we have a whole pile of them. Most of the time, we say, boy, wouldn't it be nice if I just had a few more friends? And, and, and sometimes even in that, you don't, you don't necessarily know what you mean by that. But ask yourself this question if you said, who are your good friends? Who are your good friends? Do you have good friends? Like people that in any circumstance you could call up and talk to them. People in any circumstance would help draw out the best in you. People in any circumstance would love you beyond what you think you're capable of being loved. It seems like so few of us can actually say we have a lot of those kind of people. My personal journey with friends has been up and down, to be honest. I've had good friends. I've had good friends betray me. I felt very lonely inside of friendships. I've had friends that I thought were my best friends that completely abandoned me. I've had deep friendships from unexpected places. I have a very deep friendship with my wife who is completely opposite me. I would say she's my best friend. But I think she's my best friend because nothing that I have done, but because God has graced her to be gracious to me. And I feel I'm just a recipient of someone who loves me deeper than anyone else. That's why I call him a best friend. This whole idea of friends, I think, is so important. One pastor actually said it's the least talked about most important subject in the world. That's interesting. The least talked about most important subject in the world. My question as I prepared was, why haven't we talked about this as a church more often? Why is it that one of the most important things there could possibly be about living on this planet is just completely ignored by the church? And I say, I, th I think we've got to do our best to change that and talk about that. And in our series, what we're really doing is we're, we're going back to the nature of relationships. And most of the time when you hear uh, a series on relationships, in fact, everyone that I've talked to is like, yeah, this series is about sex. Actually, there's one sermon on sex, but of course, because of our culture and the way we think, everyone thinks the whole series is about sex. But it's not. It's actually about the nature of relationships. And, and yes, we are going to talk about how sex uh, sometimes is great in relationships and complicates relationships at the same time. But really, this should have been one of the sermons that kind of spring, that springboards everything that's going on in our whole series because actually when I took a deep look at the whole issue of friendship, I didn't really find it in the Bible except that I found it deeply connected to the concept of love. This is interesting, and, and we'll get into this, but really... Building friends is about loving people. That, that's really kind of the way the Bible almost simplifies it. I don't want to say it's exclusively because the Bible also says love your enemies. And those of you who have enemies know that they're not necessarily like your friends. Although sometimes they seem very similar, don't they? But this issue of love is so important. So I thought it would be um, important for us to turn to it to a chapter of the Bible that speaks very specifically about the word friend, but the concept is not just about friendship or, you know, eight keys to building great relationships as, as a friendship, but really about who Jesus is as a, as a cornerstone to our understanding of friendship. And so if you want to turn to John chapter 15, John chapter 15, if you don't have a Bible, would you raise your hand and someone would love to come and bring you a Bible? Um, 
I think our usher just went back there. Just hold your hand up uh, for a little while, if you would. And uh, someone would bring you a Bible. John is uh, the, one of the four Gospels, so it's on the really thin part of the right-hand side of your Bible. I'm not sure which page it is in those particular Bibles. Um, you can turn to your app as well. And then John chapter 15, and there's a, there's a couple of verses that I'm going to concentrate on here this morning. And then I, I want to talk about kind of three implications or three things that I think the Bible also talks about as to how we can help to build friendships. And so here it is, John chapter 15, verses 12 to 17, and this is what it says. If you're not there yet, just listen and follow along with my words. It says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, by the way. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask, in whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. And so this morning, we're going to talk in that passage about, first of all, the command to love. And then we're going to talk about what is that measure of love. And then we're going to talk about the purpose or the reason for that love. And, and, and I'm going to break out some, uh, I think, some practical ways for you and me to move forward as we pursue our friendships based upon what we know about Jesus. So first of all, the command of love. The reason why I say the command of love is that if you read that or heard that in the Bible, you actually heard it twice. You see it in verse 12 there. This is my commandment that you love one another. And then verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. It's like these parentheses around this little passage. I'm commanding you to love. Have you ever had someone command you to love if you're a parent of a disobedient child, you have commanded your child to love, right? Kids are fighting in the back seat. Kids, love one another. Hug your sister now, right? Say you're sorry and do it nicely. That's, what, that's how we say it. This command to love is not quite like that. This command to love, and we've got to see it in its context. What you're seeing here is, is uh, in my Bible, it's kind of showing up. Jesus is when he speaks, it shows up in red letters. And so there's a lot of red on this page. And so this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he's not just flippantly just standing there. Okay, what else could I get you guys? To? I know, I know what I could do. I could command you to love one another. No, he's actually saying uh, how much he loves them. How much he loves them. He's spending a lot of time saying, I have a great relationship. In fact, I think it's safe to say he has a friendship with his father. If you look in the very beginning of scripture, what you actually see is a community. Before we are created for relationship with God, God has relationship with God. I know, just busted most of your minds with that. As Christians, we believe that. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three, a trinity, a three in one. 
It's where most people have the major arguments with Christianity because that is so hard to understand. But each one of those persons are revealed in Scripture in different ways and in different forms. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We use those in some ways, not necessarily interchangeably, but on a Sunday morning we say we talk about Jesus and we glorify Jesus. Father, help us to understand Jesus. We need your help through your Holy Spirit. So you see there's a little community and I believe that they're friends and the reason why I say that is because they love one another deeply. You see, when Jesus on his mission, the first thing he'll talk about is he'll say, you know what, I have a good relationship with my father. I love my father so much, I will do anything that he asks me to do. And the father will say to the son, I love my son so much, it's, nothing is harder for me than sending my own son to the cross to pay for the sins so that I can be in relationship with people. He says that there's this angst that you see throughout the story of God. And so don't think that Jesus is, is one of those bosses and you and I have them. You ever have a boss who will not do something that he asks you to do or she asks you to do? You ever had a boss like that? They'll sit in their chair and they'll be like, yeah, I don't really want to do that. Can you do that? Yeah, I don't, I'm not good at that or I don't do that myself. Can you be more like that? I'm a terrible listener, but can you be a really good listener? I'm terrible at these things, but can you do them? This is not what Jesus is like. Jesus is like, I actually have received love from the Father. We have a relationship. I have loved you now. This is my command to you, that you love one another. He never asks us to do something that he doesn't actually receive and doesn't actually give. And the reason why this is so important is because so often, as Christians, as churches, as preachers, we can try and tell people to do more, work harder, be better, right? Some of you don't like churches like that. That's why you don't like church, because I feel bad about myself. Because the pastors always say, if you could just do this a little more, you'd have a more successful life. If you could just sin a little less, we'd have a great church. You know, stuff like that. But I think we want to make it really clear that nothing that Jesus ever asks us to do comes without him first doing it. He makes a way for us. And I would say, if you do not yet hear, well, wait a second, you never said how much Jesus loved me. Well, that's actually what we would call the gospel. The gospel is also a shorthand word that the Bible uses for good news. And here's the good news. Is that God had this great relationship in the very beginning. But he decided that he wanted to share it with people. He didn't need to share it with people. He wasn't lonely. He wasn't twiddling his thumbs and going, boy, it's been a long time since I created a universe. He said, really, I would love to share my love with people. So how do I do that? And he developed this amazing plan called the creation of everything that we know. We're not going to debate how he did it this, this morning. That's a totally different sermon. But then he, he created people. And he created them to be in relationship with them. In the very beginning, he said, I want to show you and express that love. It wasn't necessarily reciprocal. It was one way. I want to show that love. And then he gave humans the opportunity to respond to that love and love back. And they said, no, thank you. They said, we will have it our way. And they sin. That's what sin is. Sin is in 
opposite of what God wants. And for the rest of history, we've been trying to reach back to God and get into a relationship with God because we are hardwired in our hearts and souls. In the decision-making places in our life, we're trying to get back and experience that love. Ask yourself if your life journey isn't a search for love of some kind. That you just wish you could love yourself like other people love you. You wish other people would love you more. And God says, I will fix all that. I will send my son. I will show you how much I will love you. Well, what's the measure of this love? He said, and he gets into it in the very next point. This is how you know my love. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Now that might not mean a lot to you because you've never considered yourself a friend of God. Have you ever considered that that God wants you as a friend? You ever considered sometimes how bad of a friend you are to God at times? You know, when you think about your relationships and your friendships, you have those good friends and then you have those bad friends, right? You have those friends that you're not really that nice to, right? You, you do click, click like on all their stuff on Facebook, but you don't really like it. You just want them to know you're paying attention to what's going on. Or, or you, you, you show up, but your heart isn't in it. Or, or you're like, oh yeah, I said I'd get together for coffee, and boy, it's been so long, and I'm a terrible friend. You ever said that? about so? I'm a terrible friend to that person. The truth is, we've been terrible friends to Jesus, but he has not been terrible friends to us. Because he came to us, and he says, not only will I come to you, but I will, I will die the death that you should have died, and I will pay the price. We celebrate it each week symbolized by our, our, the bread and wine. Greater love. There's no greater love than someone who would lay their life down for their friends. Is there anyone in this world that you would say, yep, I would stand in place if they were supposed to die, if they were on death row, if they were committed to be executed, you'd say, yeah, I, I, would, I would replace myself with them. I would stand in the way. Is there, any, is there anyone in this world that you would do that for? My guess is no or barely anyone. Maybe your spouse. Maybe your best friend. Did you know that Jesus, that's how his relationship with us is described, when we sat on death row, despite all of the things we think are good about ourselves, we really deserve to not be in relationship with God and Jesus actually willingly set aside himself so that he could step in your place. There's two things I think we see about Jesus in these verses and so this is kind of an explanation of verse 13 then. It says, greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And, and then he, he kind of explains this. He says, you are my friends if you, if you do what I command you. Now don't, don't hear this as you are my friends because you do what I command you. He says, because you love me, you do what I command you. When you love Jesus and he says, I command you to love one another, that doesn't sound like a command. That sounds like he's trying to help me 
He's giving me an opportunity. And when someone has done something wonderful for you, you just, it's just innate in us that we kind of want to respond by doing something back. That's how you know you can really appreciate someone or really love someone. Friday night, I was driving. I, 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 was, I was literally, I was going to Best Buy. And uh, I, I happened to stop in and, and, and my van. I think the fuel pump is going, so it's barely chugging along. I can, you know, my radio's cranked on the new comedy channel. My window's open. I'm chugging back and forth. And I'm in a 2001 van filled with tools. And I'm wearing a blazer. It was the weirdest sight, I think, probably... And there, there was a group of people at the corner, and they were like, hey, can you give us a ride? And I'm like, well, I got, I'm in a van. Of course I'm going to give you a ride. And they, they wanted to respond. They could not believe I would give them a ride. I'm like, I'm, I'm driving over there. It's really not that big of a deal. They're like, no, seriously. And she had a birthday cake. She's like, should I give the cake? I was like, no. I, secretly, I was kind of like, yeah, that'd be cool. But then I was like, no, I, I, don't, I, don't, think we, I don't think we need, you know, six pieces of, of white sugar around for the weekend. That's what I was thinking. And then they tried to offer money at the very end. And they just like, I love Calgary. It's so amazing. I'm like, what is the big deal? I gave you a ride. You, don't, you won't even remember this. You're probably half tanked already. It doesn't like, no big deal. And, and yet you, I, I say that, but what was amazing was how many times they wanted to respond back. Well, here, here's $5. No, seriously, I don't need it. Here's a cake. No, seriously, I don't need that either. Well, how, what can we, nothing. I don't want anything back. Seriously, I didn't even have to go out of my way. I'm not as good as you think I am. How is it possible that we respond to the cross in an indifferent way when Jesus is like, he's giving, and sometimes I feel like when we see the cross, it's just like, hey, that's great. Just, I, I, I got, you know, I'm saved from the penalty of death. And, and Jesus is like, no, no, can I, let's back up here. There's nothing greater an act of love that I can do for you. There's no more way than I could possibly show you than to lay my own life down for you. You were my enemy and I made you my friend. You see how it's impossible, I think, to even get the concept of biblical friendship until we can understand and feel the weight, the weight of the love of Jesus for us. And so he, it, this, is, this, is, this is terrific. He, there's these two things, the sacrifice and friend. And, and here's what I would say is, is love always involves sacrifice. When you really love someone, you will sacrifice for them, won't you? And conversely, you will sacrifice things for that what you love. Well, if you love CFL football like I do, you will sacrifice Saturday evenings to go to football games. Okay, that's a really shallow example but let's say you have a wife. You will sacrifice your time for your wife. You love your husband, you'll sacrifice your time for your husband. You have friends who are moving, you will sacrifice wonderful May Saturday afternoons so that you can help your friends. Love will always require sacrifice of some kind. It'll require your time, it'll require your energy. It'll require your money. It'll require your emotions. 
every act of love or every love relationship will require sacrifice. And that's exactly what he says. That's exactly what he says. I lay my life down for my friends. I think of a, a great story when we talk about friendship. We always talk about, um, if you're not at all familiar through Bible, there's a very famous story about friendship in the Old Testament. And some of you might know this story of David and Jonathan. Everyone I've ever talked to about friendship is, oh yeah, we, you know, there's, there's David and Goliath, and then there's David and Jonathan as a friendship. And some have made, I think, really ignorant comments about the relationship between David and Jonathan. But here's some really amazing things, and, and I'll, I'll just read it to you. It actually has that title in my Bible, David and Jonathan's Friendship. It's in 1 Samuel 18, 1-6. And this is, this is what it says. And, and just to give you a little bit of background, this is the story of there, there's a king, King Saul, and then there's a to-be king, David. He's actually been anointed um, by the spiritual leader at the time to be the king that comes in after. But if you know anything about how kings succeed, you know that they usually pass on their throne to their son. And so you've got this, this man, King Saul, and his son is Jonathan. And then you've got the new king, not really related, and his King David. Now here's what's crazy is that King David or future King David and Jonathan are going to become friends. And here's what it says. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, that the, the noble robe, like the future king robe, and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. It's amazing. There's no word friend there. What is there, though, is that he loved him as he loved himself. That's amazing. I went into the New Living Translation just to see, again, what that meant. And, and basically, in the 1998 version of the New Living Translation, it says, and they became the best of friends. And then in the, in the 2012 version of the NLT, they, they, they tweaked it a little bit, and they said they, that he loved him deeply. And so there must be this kind of struggle in the Hebrew language to catch the essence of this. But what is very clear is that you can't really have friendship without love. And that you can't have friendship, true friendship and loving friendship without sacrifice of some kind. And so this is already you're starting to see why is it so hard to keep up relationships? I think because we don't want to sacrifice things. But that's still to come. But this idea of friend that we even get from Jesus is, is not a reciprocal friendship. Sometimes we say things like, um, well, can we be friends like Jesus is friends to us? No, we can't. You will fail. You have failed. You are failing right now at being the kind of friend that Jesus can be to you. So let's not get this idea that we're just simply able to um, look at what Jesus does for us and then let's all go out and, and uh, you know, become friends like Jesus came friends for us. Got some coffee for me, bro? That's correct, sir. <laughs> I'm not much of a coffee drinker during my message, but you never know. Things can change. Thanks, friend. See what I just did there? Thanks, Paul. But there is this sense in which Jesus calls us friends. Now, here's what's amazing. 
Here's what's amazing is that if Jesus is in control of all things, if he's equal with the Father, if he's God above all things, then, then what's his rightful place above us? He's, he's our master. He gets to tell us to be his servants. But he says, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. What does a friend do? A friend invites you in. A friend says, I could lord this over you, but I'm choosing not to. I'm choosing to include you in. Here's what I found amazing when I thought about our own friendships, is I have a lot of friends. I do. I have a lot of people that uh, I would consider friends. And yet at the same time, isn't it interesting how when I think about my friends, I actually think about them as servants. Really, that's how I'm thinking about them. Why do I say that? Because... I think about the people that do stuff for me, that bring joy to me, that do, are in good relationship. And, and I know this because when they stop giving me what I think I need, what happens usually? The friendship goes down. Now, isn't that amazing? People that you thought are your friends are probably more, they act more like your servants. Here's Jesus who he is rightfully master of us, but he doesn't call us servants, he calls us friends. So I think Jesus is flipping upside down our concept of friendship completely. Really, what, if, if that's the definition of a friend, that someone loves before they loved each other, do you know, do you, is that what you would consider your friends? People that, you, that hate you at this point, but eventually they may love you and you're just trying to love them into a friendship? Is that what, who you'd call your friend? Someone who is trying to destroy your reputation, but you're actually responding in love to them. Is that who you call your friend? You probably call that person your enemy. So here's what I find so amazing about this whole concept of friend, is that it's totally opposite of ours. That what would happen if, if we began to think of the people that we know not as our servants, who are just there for us when we need them, but actually, we're there for them even when they don't think they need us. What would happen to our relationships? What would happen to our church community? Would it not be an incredibly loving place? I feel like we get glimpses of this even on Sunday morning when we hear this, when we say this, we want to be a friendly church. Well, what is friendly? I think it's acting like a friend before you really are. Your friends don't act friendly, do you? <laughs> like when you go hang out with a bunch of friends, you're not like, wow, these people are really friendly. You don't say that. Why? Because they're already your friends. But when people that you don't know treat you kind of like a friend, you're like, wow, those people are really friendly. You see what happens when you start to think in terms of loving for the other person rather than just kind of looking for what you can get out of yourself. I know some of you, when we talk about friends, you're like, finally, I'm going to get some techniques on how to get some friends around here. Some people that can love me for who I am. I know that's my feeling with friends too. The reality is you can't demand friends. You can only hope for them. You can only really act like a friend. The great thing is, is that the way God wired us is that when you act like a friend, you'll have friends. You'll have friends. I guarantee you. If you set out and you say, I'm actually not going to worry about whether I have friends. I'm just going to act like a friend 
to everyone that I come in contact, like Jesus acts towards me, you will have as many friends as you can handle. Isn't that amazing the way Jesus wired this? And so this is actually the third part, the reason for love. Do you think for a second that Jesus was trying to just get you to do something so that you could make him happy? No, he, he didn't call you his servant, he called you his friend. Do you realize that he has your joy in mind when he's commanding you to love and he's literally saying to you, if you listen to my command to love, you actually will have friends. But some of us feel that we know best and so we're trying to get friends without taking a careful look at Jesus. And I would say the enriched view of Jesus, an enriched understanding of Jesus has the natural outcome and outflow of many friends. This is, I, I, can, I can testify to this. And so, so can my wife. She's watched me build friendships. Typically they say friendships are a little easier for women to, to get than men. That's possible. Um, probable. Maybe that's your experience. Maybe that's what you've seen. I've been burnt terribly. My whole life by friends. I've been dropped like a bag of hammers by many of my friends. And yet I still have lots of them. Because there was a point in my life when I said, I'm just going to forget about what I can get out of my friends and I'm just going to be a good friend. And I, I found friends in the craziest of places. I'll, I'll tell you a little pastor secret. You know that at times they tell pastors, don't have friends in your church. Did you know I've been told that? That's instruction. That's backwards if we believe the Bible, right? It's weird. Someone say, how's your church going? Good, I actually have a lot of friends there. Really? Yes. Yes, I do. But it's not because I go out and search for friends. It's because I have been loved greatly by my father. And the deeper I feel the love of Jesus, the easier it is to love others. And when I love others, I find friends, and they, they reciprocate. I'll, I'll answer after, Paul, okay? Yeah. Yeah, amen. 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 It's a good example. That's why I can call Paul my friend. I'm not looking for stuff from Paul, even though it's crazy. He bought me a pop the other day. I was like, what are you doing, man? Yeah, he just bought me a coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I wasn't going to say that, but yeah. I, I was like, okay, so things come in, in crazy places. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. But seriously, that, I mean, that's a, that's a great example. I didn't go to Paul for what I could get out of Paul. I went to Paul because I knew Paul needed friends. Everyone needs friends. I got lots of stuff from Paul. More stuff from him than he's given to me. I'm like, it's cool. <laughs> okay, we digress. We digress. We digress. <laughs> oh. Okay, we are in a text here this morning, though, aren't we? Okay, Paul. Well, let's 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 do this for after. But that's that's great. That's great. Um, the 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 we will be praying. We will be praying. The reason the reason for love is our third part of the text here, that Jesus says, here's why I want you to love one another. I want you to produce fruit. 
Now, that sounds weird for us who aren't fruit farmers, but, but if you understand the context, you understand that Jesus is the vine. If you go look earlier in the text and you can see that Jesus is saying, abide in me, dwell in me, take your sustenance from me. He said, because I'm, I'm creating you into a person that can create fruit. And by fruit, he's meaning other people, other friends of me, because I want a big family. I want a lot of people who can experience this love. And he says, the reason why I'm commanding you is I want you to be able to produce fruit. And the fruit there is lots of friends who also love me. This isn't just him saying, you got things to do, so get busy. He's saying, you're going to benefit from this. You're going to benefit from this command that I give to you. You're going to receive even when you haven't set out to receive. He says, when you think like I think, and he says, as my friend, I'm letting you in on this. I'm letting you in on how God thinks. This is how God thinks. God thinks I will give of myself in love. And what does he receive? He receives the love of many. Those who are Christians are not those who have been dragged into God's family, kicking and screaming. Those are people who genuinely love God. If God says, choose between me and the rest of the world, we say, I willingly choose with my conscience this God. He receives millions of these people everywhere. And that principle, he says, I want to share that with you because I want you to participate in this. I want you to receive what I have received. This is Jesus saying, I've received this love from the Father. I have this great relationship with the Father. I've loved you and I've received much. I want you to receive what I have received. Do you see? And so lastly, three things. Three, this is for those who are like, okay, now what do I do? Give me something to apply. This is for you. I don't think it's... It's disconnected because I believe strongly that Jesus acts this way toward you. And so therefore, because of that, because you know this about Jesus, you can act this way towards others. First of all, friendship tip number one. One of the best ways that you can be a friend is to be loyal. Amen? My great friends, really, they're loyal. That's who they are. They don't share my love of music or football, or a lot of things. They're loyal. They're there when it's painful. They're not jealous when I have joy. They have joy at the same time I have joy. You have those friends who you think they're your friends, but when you have joy, they're jealous and they don't say anything to you? Yeah, those aren't really friends sometimes, are they? That's not what I'm talking about in terms of loyal. Loyal isn't, <laughs> I got a free case of beer and show up. That's not loyal. You don't get loyal friends. You, get lo you find out who your loyal friends are when you move all the way across town in the rain. You'll find out who some of your friends are. You find out your loyal friends when you say, come meet at my house for city group every week. We're going to gather. We're going to eat together. You find out very quickly who's actually been a loyal friend. And this is what Jesus is. He's the ultimate loyal friend to you. He said, I'll never leave you. Well, what if I sin a lot? I still won't leave you. I'll, I'll forgive you. Well, what if I do the same sin over and over again? Well, I will never leave you. Well, what if I'm lonely? I won't leave you. Well, what if all my friends abandon me? I won't abandon you. You see? All you have to do 
for instruction on how to be loyal is look at your Jesus. Look at your Savior, how loyal he is with you. Look at this proverb, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Remember, this is written to an ancient Near Eastern culture where family is everything. Last week, we talked about this, you know, you're not even kind of in the Eastern mindset of marriage. You're not even a real person unless you're married. And that's because family just has this super high value. And the wisest person in the world said, there are friends who are closer than your blood. Those are your real friends. You're stuck with your family. You don't have a choice. You can be nice to them. You cannot be nice to them. You're still eating Thanksgiving dinner with them. But your friends, they have a choice. And when your friends through thick and thin choose to eat Thanksgiving dinner with you or meet with you each week or help you move or don't lend you money, they give you money because they know you need it. They're happy when you're happy. They're not even your friends on Facebook because they don't even want to distort anything. They're that kind of friend. Yeah, Jesus is this way for us. Secondly, truthful. Some of us hear this and we're like, yeah, I'm, I'm really truthful. <laughs> I'm, I'm not talking about being Blunt or abrasive, okay? I think there's actually a difference between the two. <laughs> so we're like, I'm really truthful. No, you're just really abrasive, actually. And the reason why I say that truthful is because you need friends that will tell you what you need to hear. You have those friends who, who aren't really your friends. You ever gone into a coffee shop, you see someone in the line in front of you, and they just got a big piece of banana hanging in their mustache, and you're like, should I, should I, should I, should I tell them they got a big piece of banana in their mustache? Nah, I'll just let them go. Or a big piece of cream cheese on their cheek. Or a big goop of jam on their sleeve or something. But you're a real friend, what do you do? Uh, uh, you, uh, you, got, you got something right here. You got something right here. Oh, you know, you don't ask a stranger, hey, do I got anything in my nose? You never ask a stranger that, right? You ask your friend that. You ask your friend that. You're like, hey, do, do I got, you know, do I got stalactites here or, or what's going on? Yeah. I want to put this image that you need those friends who, despite how gross it is, will tell you you got something on your face. I, I believe that one of the best ways, and I love this about Tim Keller, he says, we have to find people to give hunting licenses to. Hunting licenses that they're allowed to go into the dark places of our souls and hunt for things that are harmful to ourselves and our character. But you don't get a hunting license. You have to be given a hunting license, as anyone knows about hunting licenses. You have to apply for them, and then if the government decides you can handle a gun safely or a bow safely or a fishing rod safely, we'll give you a license. You have to work at giving people licenses. You say, oh, I'm a really open person. Have you told someone that? I think I'm a really open person, but I'm amazed. I had a good friend of mine, and I was like, I'm going to show this guy how to be open. And I'm like, do you see any character flaws? And I'm like, I'll wait the silence because I'm a good guy and, and he's not going to find anything. You know what he said to me? He said, I noticed you seem to favorite one daughter over another. 
I just burst into tears. One of the most helpful things anyone has ever said to me. I had no idea. See, I'm a big fan of about three to five. So any kid in the three to five range, I just think they're the cutest thing ever. I did not see it. I did not see the cream cheese, the banana in my mustache. I didn't see it. I didn't realize what I was doing. And what he saw is I was hurting one daughter. Not intentionally. I love my children. I was devastated. I was like, how terrible. But I have never, ever forgot it. It's exactly what he says. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. You need friends who are willing to give you some wounds because they know it's helpful. But the last part is you also need friends that are careful. Truthful because you need to hear what's on your face. Careful because they understand there's timing involved. Right? You have those friends who they say the right thing at the wrong time. Anyone have a friend like that? They're not very, they, they don't end up being your friend for very long. Right? You just, you know, you just finished your final exam. You didn't pass. They're like, oh, well, you got your whole life ahead of you. You're like, seriously, now? Now? Oh, you know, we, we, we laugh about that, but I, I've heard it, you know? Mother-in-law passes away. Well, God is sovereign. <sighs> okay. Not really helpful right now, though, actually because I know that. I'm not questioning whether God is in control. I miss my mom. Proverbs actually, I, I love this image. This is singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in the cold weather, right? It's, it's, not, it's a nice gesture, right? Taking some, hey, can I take your coat? <laughs> you ever do that in minus 30? Hey, can I just take your coat off? You're like, get lost. Like, what are you doing? It's bad timing, friend. Bad timing. Uh, the ESV, I, I put in the NLT, NLT, pouring vinegar on an open wound. I, no one does this. I, it's hard to, but the ESV actually says, it's like pouring vinegar and soda together. This is science. You pour an acid, right, Jesse? Acid with alkali, right? What happens? Right? Am I right? Yeah, that's what that's, See, I did my research right there. It just, it doesn't go well. It's not, it's, not, it's not the right deal. There's a timing involved. Don't be the person who's just got bad timing is what, you know, you don't have to think any farther than Jesus, do you? Like, isn't it amazing that he lives, he lets us live most of our lives in deep sin and then when the time is right, he gently tugs it out and says and convicts us of sin that he allows us to live the way we want to live for far too long, in my opinion. And then at just the right time, he gently taps and says, I need you to hear this. Have you ever been like dealing with someone and then isn't it crazy? What, how did the preacher know that I'm dealing with this right now and I needed to hear this? Did you know that that is not me? I plan to preach on singleness on Mother's Day. I don't get it. That's Jesus gently tugging on you and saying, you need to hear this today. 
I've had that over and over and over again. I preach my sermon. I'm like, I have no idea this is going to land anywhere. I think people are going to walk away. They're going to hate this church. And someone will go, that was exactly what I needed to hear on that day, in that moment. Do you know who that is? That's the Holy Spirit of God as an act of friendship, laying down his well-being for you and saying, I'd like you to hear this now. And it's sometimes it is good. It's so good. Friends, there's, I think there's a way that we can be friends when it's like, you can be loyal, and you can be truthful, but be careful. Think through the timing. Pray your face off. If you've got to tell someone they've got banana on their face, you better pray that the Spirit of God has the timing right. Because sometimes, and I've I've, had count, I've done counseling in my office. Hey, that's the right thing, wrong time. And I've experienced it over and over again. You're, you're telling me the truth, you're just telling me it at the wrong time, and so now I just don't trust you anymore. And so I'll find another way to hear from God if I can. Now, application aside, friends. Here we go. There is no greater friend, there is no greater act of friendship than someone laying down his life for you or her life for you. And we celebrate this each week. And so I'll call the band. Julie, you want to come up? And here's what this symbolizes. This is really a family meal and this is about friendship. You want to know how badly Jesus wants to be your friend? This is where it's symbolized right here. Jesus said, I will not sit in the comforts of heaven in great relationship with my Father. I will come to these people and I will be their friends. I will listen to their boring stories. I will smell their dirty, disgusting feet. I will live as they live so that I can be a friend to them. That's what's symbolized in the bread. The flesh of God came to this earth. But he just didn't live with us. He also laid down his life and he said, I don't want my friends to ever have to experience what I know is supposed to be coming to them. And so instead of watching them go through it, he says, I will go through it and allow them to watch me go through it. And that's symbolized in the wine or the juice, the blood. Friends, this is the ultimate act of friendship. Let's sing and worship and respond to the friendship of God that we have in Jesus. We also gather our, our, our money, not as, as a way of saying that now is where the money is. We say this is also an act of worship. You sacrifice for that which you love. We say giving is also an act of worship. So as we respond, here's what we say. Let's sing in response to the love of God. Let's partake as a response to the love of God. Let's give as a response to the love of God. And then let's go and on a rainy, cold May afternoon, let's love as an act of worship in response to God.